Good morning. My name's Kevin. Glad that you're with us this morning. I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Grace Fellowship. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one in the rack there in front of you. We've been going through this first part of the book of Revelation. It's a series of letters to seven churches. Churches that are under pressure to compromise, and they are responding in uh, different ways. Uh, and I have a, a map of these seven churches. We can put it up on the screen. Uh, all of these churches are along the same mail route. Basically, when this letter is written, it would be dropped off at each one of these cities. And so you can kind of see that we're, we're just moving down the road uh, and the reason I wanted to point this out to you is because the, the three churches, including the one that we've, we're going to look at today and the, the past two, is as we move down the road, we're seeing kind of a troubling trend emerge. So um, when we were in Pergamum, the church in Pergamum, there was a small group. There were a few people who were beginning to compromise, right? They, were, they wanted to worship Jesus and the Roman emperor. They wanted to worship Jesus and the other gods of the city around them. And then when we moved down to Thyatira, uh, we looked at them last week, that small group has now become a large faction, right? And there's even a leader. There's a faction within the church, a large faction that's leading people astray. And now today we're going to get to the church in the city of Sardis. And what we're going to see is that the church is now basically dead. Uh, the, the problem has grown to encompass almost the entire church. So let's give our attention to God's word in Revelation chapter 3, and start in verse 1. Let's hear what Jesus has to say to this church. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation, literally the name. You have the name of being alive, but you are dead wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for i have not found your works complete in the sight of my god remember then what you received and heard keep it and repent if you will not wake up i will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour i will come against you yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Amen. Let's pray and let's ask God to give us ears to hear. Father in heaven, that is our prayer. Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to the church, to, to our church. God, would you help us to understand this, your word, and then would you help us to apply it to our own lives. And we pray it in the matchless name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. 
Have you ever had the moment when you thought you were going to be rewarded for something, but you weren't? Maybe, uh, maybe you thought the coach was going to give you the MVP award at the end of the season, uh, and instead he gave it to somebody else. Maybe you thought that, uh, that, that you were going to be the best in class, and yet you weren't. Or you thought you were going to get that promotion, and instead it was given to someone else. We've, uh, we've been using this image of the report card as we've been talking about these seven churches, that what Jesus is doing for each of these churches is giving them a report card, a, a progress report of how they're doing. And Sardis is expecting an A+. Sardis thinks she is the valedictorian. But she comes very quickly to realize that she's actually in danger of failing out. Her grades are not nearly as good as she thought they were. Jesus uses the word name four times in this very short passage. Now, we all know the power of a, of a good name, right? That if you have a, a good name... Uh, it can unlock doors for you, right? If, you're, if your name is known, if you have a good reputation, what people think about you, what people know about you, uh, that can be of great help to you or it can be of great harm to you. And sometimes the name that we have doesn't actually square with reality. That we have one name out here, and there's, there's what people think about us, but it's not actually what's true about us. And that's what we're dealing with in Sardis. And what we see, what Jesus tells this church is that spiritual life and spiritual health is not measured by outward appearance. Because by outward appearance, this church is doing well. They have a good name outwardly. But Jesus says spiritual life is not measured by outward appearance. It's measured by faithfulness to Jesus. And so we're going to break this down uh, three points. First, we're going to talk about, uh, we're, we're going to say beware a false name, right? A false reputation. Second, we need to hear the wake-up call. And then third, we want to hold out for the name that really matters. First, beware a false name. Uh, all of these letters that Jesus uh, sins have the same basic structure, right? You have an introduction, uh, Jesus introduces himself, then he warns the church or commends the church, he calls them to some kind of action, and he gives them a promise based on who he is. That, that structure is kind of uniform throughout all seven of these letters. So what is, what is Jesus' warning here? What does he say? Well, he basically says, you're not who you think you are. Let's look again at, at verse 1. Just after Jesus introduces himself, he says, I know your works. Now, based on what he's about to say, we might assume that the people in Sardis, when they hear this first sentence, I know your works, that they're probably already starting to be like, I know, I know. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for recognizing our hard work. Go ahead. Go ahead and bring out the trophy. You know, we, we love it. We're great. But Jesus continues. He says, I know your works. You have the name of being alive. You've got, you've got a good reputation. Your neighbors approve of you. 
the word around town is that's that's a vibrant church. That's man, that's the place to be on a Sunday morning. I mean, have you heard their worship? Have you their music's incredible? The messages are super relevant. The coffee's good, right? You have a you have a great reputation. You've got a name for yourselves in the community. You're well known. You're approved of by everyone. But Jesus has a different evaluation. He says, you have the name of being alive, but in fact, you're dead. You are in a spiritual coma. As Shakespeare wrote, all that glitters is not gold. All is not as it appears to be. The church looks good to their city, and they may even look good to their other churches in the region. But in God's sight, Jesus says, your works are incomplete. You do not measure up. Your actual lives, the the reality of the matter, leaves much to be desired. So these, these folks have the approval of men, but not of God. That's the danger that they're in. And given the overall theme of these letters, we can assume... I think that they've earned that approval, they've gained that approval of of the people around them by compromising, by by giving in, by trying to hold both to Jesus and to the culture around them. That's what we saw, that's what we see happening uh, progressively over these past few churches. And so what that means is that their message is approved, the message that they give is approved by everyone because it actually challenges no one, right? We might put it in these terms. It's a, it's a feel-good message. It definitely speaks to the therapeutic needs of the culture around them, but doesn't actually change anything. It's not challenging or confrontational. And so a good word for these people would be the word complacent. They're self-assured. I'm great. You're great. We're great. Everything's great. Right? It's, like, uh, it's like Emmett from the Lego movie. You've seen the Lego movie? There's this really annoying song at the beginning of it. Everything is awesome. Emmett sings everything is awesome because Emmett has no clue that everything is not awesome. He is ignorant to, to the reality around him, and he is just coasting through life. Right? That is, that is Sardis. They're singing everything is awesome when, in fact, everything is not awesome. And so this morning, I would ask the question, what about you? Are you complacent? Are you maybe resting on a spiritual heritage of the generation before you, maybe your parents or grandparents? Are you slumbering? Do you think you're alive when in reality you are in a spiritual coma? You're on the verge of death and you don't even realize it. Kevin, how would I know? How would I know if that's me? How would I know if I'm in that position, if I'm in a spiritual slumber, moving towards death? Well, let's listen to what Jesus says to complacent people. If you you think this may be you, then what you need to do is hear the wake-up call. Now, I realize not everybody will remember this, but, you know, there was a day and time for some reason when you stayed at a hotel... Uh, you could tell the front desk when you wanted to wake up, and they would call your room. 
I don't know why we had that feature. Apparently, alarm clocks weren't super common. I don't know. But you could get somebody else to call your room at 6 a.m. if you wanted to, to tell you to wake up, right? And the, and the phone would ring, and you would answer, and they'd say, Mr. Corley, this is your wake-up call, right? In fact, I remember going on school trips um, in high school and in college, and we would stay in hotels, and we, some, some people would prank their friends, um, you know, by telling the front desk to call their room at like 3 or 4 in the morning. I personally would never have done that, but... Um, you get the idea, right? The wake-up call. Well, that's what Jesus tells these people. He says, wake up. Be alert. Look at what's happening. Now, when Jesus, is, uh, when Jesus says this, this, this would have hit them right between the eyes. This would have spoken to their history because Sardis, the city of Sardis, had been conquered not once but twice through their own complacency and arrogance. You see, Sardis was, uh, was built on the top of a, of a cliff. There was a, there was a large flat hill, and so what they did is they built uh, a wall, a tall wall around, uh, around this plateau, and it was several hundred feet up. There was only one road that came into the city. So as long as you guarded that one road then the city was secure. And so what happened is the people of Sardis became complacent. And when the Persian army came to the city of Sardis, they were so complacent, they didn't even put people on the wall. They guarded the road and said, you can't touch us. And what they didn't do, they didn't, they didn't put a guard on the wall, so at night, the Persian soldiers just scaled the wall, and they climbed in the city and conquered the city. The same exact thing happened 300 years later with the Greek army. Same exact thing. Tall wall, no guards, complacent king, and the Greek soldiers scaled the wall and conquered the city, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? That, that was the story of Sardis. And Jesus is saying, that's the position that you're in. You think you're safe when you're not. Wake up and strengthen what remains. Right? There's hope in Jesus' words. All is not lost. There's action that they can take. What action can they take? What does waking up look like? Well, look at verse 3. Jesus says, remember then what you received and heard. I wonder if, if this were in 2021, what we would say, right? If, if somebody came along and said, hey, your church is in, in danger of dying, you need to wake up. What, what would that look like for us? What would we say? We'd probably say, well, we need to call a church growth consultant. There's probably a new program we need to do. There's some changes we need to make. Right? There are some, some new things that we need to follow because we love novelty. We love, we love the new and the shiny. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, hey, here's something new you can try that may you know, rejuvenate things or change things for you. He actually says, no, go back. 
He says, remember what you received and remember what you heard. What's he talking about? He's talking about the word of the gospel that gave birth to their church. He's talking about the moment that someone came to their city and told them about Jesus and they believed and the new birth happened and a church was created. Jesus is saying, look, there's nothing new to do. That's not where spiritual life comes from. Spiritual life comes from the word. In fact, look at, look at how Jesus introduces himself in verse 1. Look at the tools that he's carrying. He says he holds the seven spirits and the seven stars. Now, we already said that the seven spirits, that's a symbolic way of talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has the Holy Spirit and he distributes it to the church. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, if you look in Genesis 1 and John 3... The Holy Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit creates new life where there was none. And then what about the seven stars? Well, those stars are for the seven angels or the seven messengers of the churches. They're the ones who bring God's word to the churches. So let's put those two things together, the, the spirit and the word. How does, how does God bring life to the church? By his word, through the power of his spirit, the speaking of the word through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, go back to that. Remember what you heard. Remember what you received. Keep it. Hold fast to it and repent. Yes, friend, the Christian life begins at the cross. But if we want to remain alive, we don't leave the cross. We always live at the cross. We live at the gospel, right? There's nothing, there's nothing new to give the church. No new tool for her growth. No new tool or program for her betterment. It's always been the word. It's always been the gospel by the power of the spirit. Jesus says go back to that. That's how we wake up. I love the story of Rosaria Butterfield uh, you can, I, I highly recommend her book, The Secret Thoughts uh, of an Unlikely Convert. The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, Butterfield was a lesbian women's studies professor uh, at Syracuse University. Uh, she was an activist. Um, she did not care for Christians and therefore did not care for Christianity uh, but something interesting happened. She was going to write a book on the religious right. So the people that she disagreed with, she was going to write a book about them. And, and two things happened. One, a local pastor wrote her a letter and said, hey, I hear you're going to write this book. I'd love for you to come to my house and have dinner with me and my wife. So a Christian, far from being hostile to her, invited her into his space to have regular conversation with her. That was the first thing that happened. But then the second thing that happened is she decided, she said, you know what? If I'm going to understand these people, I need to understand their book. So she started reading the Bible. And I love what she says. She says, the more I read it, I realized that it was reading me. That as she engaged with the Bible... God began putting his finger on parts of her life that needed to change. Now, look, she wasn't, she wasn't looking for this. 
She did not even necessarily want this to happen. But as she engaged with God's word, he began turning her life upside down. Transformed her from the inside out. Friend, that's what God does. And so my question is, has God done that for you? Is he issuing you a wake-up call? Are you hearing his voice calling to you? I urge you to respond. And for those who hear that wake-up call, for those who answer that call, Jesus gives this promise. Look in verse 4. He says, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Jesus says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Sometimes in the Roman world, what would happen is a convicted criminal's name would be erased from the town register, right? Uh, That if you offended the community, you would be removed from the community. It's what what Stalin did uh, in communist Russia. Uh, He did it to members of his own party. When they disagreed with him, not only would the secret police come and carry you away, but we actually have photographic photographs. proof of they would actually remove your picture from like from group pictures they would take you out and so like there's one picture for instance of a guy who'd been removed his hat still in the picture they just took his face out right because they blotted him out he had transgressed they he was removed right it was cancel culture before we had a name for it okay well what jesus says is if you hold on to me They might cancel you. They might erase your name from the town register. But you know what? Your name is written in the book of life. And it cannot be erased. If you hold fast to me, not only will your name not be erased, but it will actually be confessed. It will be proclaimed in the heavenly courtroom of my Father and his angels. So get, get the comparison that Jesus is making. You may be canceled by your city for holding fast to the name of Jesus, but not where it really matters. Where it really matters, you will have a name. Your name will be recorded and your name will be extolled. So take heart when human courts and public opinion turn on you, defame your name, I will proclaim it before the only court that matters. I will not be ashamed of you. That's what Jesus promises to those who hold fast to him. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can tell me to depart. That's the promise of Jesus. 
Jesus promises that those who remain faithful, he will clothe them in white. And they will walk with him. In other words, they have an ongoing relationship with Jesus himself. But how does one get such white clothes? Jesus says in verse 4 that there are still a few people, a few names in Sardis, who have not soiled their garments. They haven't compromised. And they will walk with me in white. And then he says something that troubles me a little bit. He says, for they are worthy. Friend, I don't know about you, but that makes me a little bit nervous. Because I'm not worthy. When I hear the word worthy and I look at my own life, I say, Jesus, how? How? I mean, we, we looked at it earlier in the service. We heard from Job. How, how, how does one get described as worthy before Jesus? Right? I, don't, I don't have white garments. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you, if you're honest. We're all compromisers. We're all walking around in soiled garments. We're dirty. How does one get clean? Well, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a little boy named Eustace Scrub, and he is not a boy you want to spend any time around. He's a selfish little jerk. And when he goes into Narnia, through his own greed and selfishness, he actually gets turned into a dragon. And he's stuck in the form of a dragon until he meets the lion, Aslan. And when he meets Aslan, he has this desire to get the dragon skin off of him. And so he takes his sharp dragon claws and he keeps, he keeps clawing the scales off. And like a, like a reptile, he can shed a skin. And he, he looks and he sees all the nasty dragon skin that he's pulled off. And he's like, great. And then he looks at himself in the pool in front of him and he's still a dragon. No matter how hard he tries, he can't clean himself. And then Aslan says to him, you're going to have to let me clean you. And Eustace says that it hurt like crazy. But Aslan took his deep lion claws and he punctured that dragon skin and he just began pulling it off. And then he dipped him in the water and he was a little boy again. Friend, that's what Jesus offers us. That if we will trust in him and hold fast to him, that he will cleanse us and he will make us pure. And we will inherit a name that can never be taken away regardless of what anyone does to us. Do you have that promise this morning? Does that belong to you? I invite you. Trust in the name of Jesus and be clean. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you not only for opening our eyes to our filth, calling us out of deep spiritual slumber. Lord, I pray that you would do that this morning. Wake us up. Help us to not be complacent. But I also thank you that when you wake us up, you call us and invite us to something better. Not only do you show us our sin, but you show us what you've done to save us. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us to not be complacent, but to hold fast to you by your grace so that you get all the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'm going to invite Steve Tipton, our elder, to come up.